The following message is being transmitted at the request of the Boundless Pod Trap Movie Review and the guys of the BPT. What you are about to hear contains spoilers to movies. If you don't want to hear these spoilers, please disengage your listening device at this time. If you can't handle those with a possible differing view on a movie, you may also want to disengage your listening device at this time. Stay tuned for a movie review that only the guys at the Boundless Pod Trap can give you. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Welcome, everyone, to the BPT Movie Review Podcast. I am your host for the night. My name is Lonnie. With me tonight is... <laughs> sounded like Elvira or Rhonda Shear or something like trying that. To be, trying to bring <laughs> sexy back. You got the music. Hi, everyone. Tune in. <laughs> I am your host. Hey, I am your host. Anyway, fuck you guys. <laughs> But fuck me, fuck him, fuck both. Don't fuck me, fuck me. He was looking at me the whole time, and his eyes started smiling. So I laughed. Did he give you bedroom eyes? He did. He's giving you the Betty Davis eyes. Holy cow! Anyway, welcome to the BBT podcast. I'm your host Lonnie. With me for the second time is Jeremy and Justin. What's up, hey, fellas? Ugh. Oh my What a way God. to start a podcast. <laughs> Off to a good start. We got a case of the giggles tonight. This one's going to be easy. I tried to hold it in for about two seconds. I, that sounds like my sex life. I try oh, to hold no. it in for at least two seconds. Oh, man. But it just never holds out. Real quick. Some good stuff right there. All right. How you boys feeling? What's tonight? on the docket? I'm good. I'm ready to do this. Ready to do this? He's ready, so. he's ready to, he's ready to do give this. some meaning behind things that nobody would ever think had meaning yeah, behind it that, in this movie. That rock in, in, on the seventh chapter of 16 minutes in. Actually, I got You nothing. look at it just from the right angle. It looks like Jesus' second <laughs> testicle. I got, and it I, means this. I got there, two sentences. There's, there's two things I picked up that I think that have probably purposely were put in there for meaning. And if you don't pick them up, that's that's is one of them. We'll, see. we'll get we'll to get it. There. We'll All get right. to it. Don't be spoiling. Is, anything. is one of them really obvious? I think both of them are. Kind right. of there's obvious, a bunch but... in this movie that are super obvious, and there's a bunch that's not. Boys and girls, children of all ages, tonight we are covering 2019's "The Dead Don't Die," starring Bill Murray, Adam Driver, Tom Waits, Chloe Sevigny, Steve Buscemi, Danny Glover. Tilda, Tilda Swinton. Swinton, Sid O'Connolly, Caleb Jones. The list just goes on and Iggy on. Iggy Pop. Iggy Pop. <laughs> RZA. R- RZA, yeah. I don't know who that is. Such a Rosie awesome. Perez. Wu-Tang, man. <laughs> Wu-Tang, yeah. Like the, Sarah Driver. The, Selena Gomez. Austin Butler. The budget Sturgill for... Simpson himself. God dang. There's just so many people in this the movie. The budget for the talent alone was right. like $50 billion dollars absolutely a little synopsis about this movie before we get into it this is a zombie movie the world is off its axis causing the dead to rise in the small city of centerville the police chief 
played by Bill Murray, and two of his officers, played by Adam Driver and Chloe Savigini. I don't know how to say her last name. Savini? I don't either. It's We'll just call her Chloe. Chloe. (laughs) (laughs) Chloe. (laughs) Stay tuned for future. (laughs) She won't be a guest. I mean, future review. Okay. Future, yeah. An ensemble cast, for sure. Yeah, very, very amazing cast. Let's just let's get into our opinions of this movie. I know it's going to be so, very oh, we have to polarizing. Our, we have to give our ratings first. Well, that's what I mean. Oh. Our, our our personal thoughts on this movie. Jeremy, definitely going to be very polarizing opinions of this movie. I think we're going to have a lot of fun talking about it. Um, so let's start with Justin. What are your thoughts on a so, scale of one to ten? Yeah, one being terrible movie, five being. A good movie, an average movie, average movie, and ten being something spectacular. I okay. think we're gonna. I think there's gonna be quite a bit different than our last podcast of Pulp Fiction. Yeah. That was uh, pretty high on the levels for all of us. Yeah, Pulp Fiction. I gave a ten because it was a pretty perfect movie. This movie, I would have to give two ratings. One, if you know nothing of this, I might have to give it about a six point eight zombies. That's about six zombies with one that can't do anything to you. That's but if you know something about it, I don't want to say Easter eggs, but things to look out for. If you are fans of the the ensemble cast, if you enjoy the the work of Jim Jamoosh, uh, I would probably put it up there maybe an 8.2. Wow, you're giving it an 8.2? Yeah. Okay. A lot of hidden, or I don't know if I want to say hidden, but a lot of, the way he tells stories. Very, yeah. It's It's unique. It's... There's things that I think most people will not like about it, and I think that's just his direction. We'll leave it at that until we get into it. Okay. What about you? So for me, it was difficult. For me. I watched it twice. Right. I watched it once, like it was like a day or two after our last movie review podcast, and then I watched it again a couple days ago. Um, and it, it, it's hard for me because it's like I have to do it – Overall, we have to give these based overall on the movie, not just our specific areas. Like, you know, how I, I'm i looking at it more from when I write up my stuff for these reviews from the director filming technical side of things. Since I, I write and direct movies, I can't base it off of that. Now, I did change what my rating was from the first time I saw it to the second time. But overall, <laughs> I'm giving this movie four stars from a 3.5 so it it, it got bumped up a half a star so i uh it was hard for you to say that not not a fan of this movie overall for the what a movie should be all right all right for me this this movie's a hard 10 out of 10 i absolutely love this movie i love everything about this movie i think the cast is great i think the story is great i i think the tone is great I think this movie is more of a dark comedy than a horror movie, but I think when it decides to do some little horror things, it does them well, but it does it on such a minute level that you don't even notice it's doing it well. You're so you're so wrapped up in the tone and the atmosphere of the movie that when it does these little horror things, you are so lost in the atmosphere and the environment that you don't realize how well they work. Right. And the reason it, I gave it four stars, those four stars are purely for what you just said. 
the horror parts that were done, I thought were done well, but they were very few and far between. Right. So yeah. that's why if you're watching this movie to be scared, you're not going to get scared. No. And I think these zombies are pretty much just placeholders for something else. I mean, like it's titled a zombie movie, but it's barely a zombie movie. Yeah, even it's though a it's zombie all around. movie in, yeah. in name and less in practice. So get us started here on this. Lonnie, what's our first talking point of this movie? So something about this movie, and I'm just going to start out with it. This movie is is definitely more about tone and atmosphere than it is about substance so for example this movie from the first part of dialogue to the last word said and this is a lot of like fact i'm gonna throw at you so from the first part of dialogue said to the last part of dialogue said the movie is one hour 42 minutes and 42 seconds long that's long as movie it took me longer to watch it because of it was lagging when I it, and that that's not counting the beginning part and the ending part. That is from first word to last word said. From Sturgeon? From no no, not even no. the intro. That's from the first word that Bill Murray says to oh. the last word. Cliff. Cliff. Yeah. Officer Cliff. Chief Cliff. In that in speaking parts, so actual people talking, there's fifty-three minutes of actual people talking. That means fifty-two percent of the movie is people talking. That's forty eight percent of this movie. There is no words. You did the math. Yeah, let me show your work. <laughs> we did it. Carry the one. Okay. I think, yeah. I think um, if those were flipped around, it might have been a better movie. <laughs> well, and that's why I'm saying there's so like so much of this movie is based on atmos- atmosphere and tone, okay. and that might be why you don't like it. And that's why a lot of the humor hits so hard because you're so based in. This atmosphere and this dark world that they're setting you up in. That's why when there's the humorous, dry parts, that they you're just so much based on like this is happening, this is happening, this is happening in such a dark, gloomy area that when they hit you with that dark, gloomy horror, or not dark, gloomy horror, that dark, gloomy comedy. That it fits so well. But the, to me, the comedy was – it fell so short. It's supposed I, to. I, <laughs> yeah, but it, it felt short for the wrong reasons. Like they did it thinking this is going to be funny. But in reality, it was like it just – it was ill-timed. The, the person didn't play it that well. To me, this, this movie cinematically, the, the, uh, the camera angles, the, the coloration of the movie – fantastic for a horror movie the the locations everything about that a plus dialogue every every about 95 90 95 percent of the dialogue i absolutely hated and destroyed the movie there was a couple things opening scene with uh with uh adam no with adam driver bill murray and um tom waits yeah oh yeah great i was like this is a great movie and even when just that that opening dialogue where you know Adam Driver's character is so By like on edge, like well, can he can he shoot at us or like he Tom Waits shoots at them and they're police officers, sheriffs, and you know just how calm Bill Murray is, but how Adam Driver is just more on edge and the guy's like fuck you and whatever and it's just like there was comedy there, the dialogue there, and it was just it left so many questions like. What is this? And then even that first scene with, with Adam Driver and Bill Murray in the cop car driving through, and it's like, is it already 8.30? Shouldn't it be getting dark? 
And it's just like, it's leaving so much mystery. Right. It's just like, this right, is going right. to be a great movie. But then it's just like, once Chloe does the call on the radio, and to me, it's just like, that's when it goes downhill. Like the the dry humor that right. is just not well-timed in my opinion. Well, that's when this, you this know. This review is not going to end well. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's when you know you're watching a Jim Jarmusch movie. Which is I, those little things like that. This you, is the first Jim Jarmusch that, movie I've ever seen, probably that, the last. It's that simplistic movie is his very kind deadpan. of his trademark. Yeah, it's and very like, deadpan. And I think echoing on what Jeremy was saying, all the, the acting-wise, the sets, the locations, the – Costume design, everything is on point. Uh, if yeah, you can the, separate yourself and like, I think most people will probably look at this and it's like, why would do so much more? The, the the dialogue needs to be like this. It's like no. it is a small town, so this is pretty much how people would talk. Right. So it fits there. The humor is deadpan. Like, but my, I think my main, and this is kind of hitting on my my ending topic thing. But every scene seems to last a little too long. Yep. And and that's part of the. The charm with it, though, the charm with that humor, it's like, for example, when they when they find uh, Rosie Perez and uh, I can't think of the other Fern. actress. Yeah, they find Fern in the the diner after they've both been killed by by Zombies. Iggy Pop. Yeah, <laughs> and they they coffee. They, <laughs> they they drive that that line into the ground of. Uh, was it an animal? Was it multiple yeah. animals? You that, get three different. That, that drive, was the funniest scene in the movie. To where me. they drive that line into the ground, like first time it it was a it was a serious line. The second time, ha, it was funny. The third time, okay, it's funnier now. It's that repetition mm-hmm. aspect, yeah. and they do that so many times throughout the movie. Well, that alone that, also kind of builds that, their characters too. Right. It's like this is how this person is. This is how this person, you know, but, and it. They stick it throughout, so right. The, the line of "Was it a wild animal or two? It's being said three times. That was the funniest part of the movie for me. Well, and it said it that, but then after that, it's just like three? I don't, yeah, because Danny Glover says it, and Adam Driver, Adam Driver, says and then Chloe says, and it. then the lady on the news says it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, but like that. That's that. If they would have done that the whole time and had it timed perfectly like that, I might have liked the movie, but. I, it was just like you know. Th- then it's like later on um, when uh, Adam Driver kind of Bill Murray says, "Well, how do you know that?" And he's like, "Adam Driver's like, because I read the script." It's like, come on, like that. That's that's stupid. Like that. That's completely taking you this movie like breaking the fourth wall there. Like, bra- not not bra- I, they're fucking destroying the fourth wall, and for no reason, it doesn't fit whatsoever. With I think anything that's, that went that on. is the charm of it. That's what I really like. But it's about the it. it's the absurdity of it. Like yeah. they you that's have the to stupidity of yeah, it. What you have to understand is they're what they're doing is so outlandish. Like they're making a zombie movie, and the, not that they're two of the though. they're they're the only two people in this world that are calm. You're ma- you're making a dry, stupid slow zombie movie that's a movie and then you have a character say a line like that which now like i said destroys the fourth wall the viewers now know it is a movie and it's just like it had no purpose whatsoever and there i don't know like that i want to i get breaking the fourth wall down in subtle ways like we did it in unemployed right before the whole music montage where like the bumping of the 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 camera like bumps into the main character and he like looks at the camera that's subtle but like this we're not is like, reviewing that okay i know <laughs> i'm just giving an example yeah no i mean 
I, I do enjoy movies that don't take themselves seriously, that do poke fun at themselves, and especially the, the dialogue there that it was pretty much ripping on the director. I, I do want to associate like your your characters of Jim or Jim, well, of Cliff and Ronnie. Like Cliff is pretty much like reflective of your your average viewer. Like he's been deadpan, he's not really on board with everything, like he's doing what he can just to get through. And Ronnie, he knows a little bit more. He he's pretty much your viewers who are kind of in on it. You know, like more of Lonnie. Like he knows what the director's direction is probably at, you know, or more in line of what that is. Ronnie lets himself have a little bit of fun. Right. Everybody else is probably like the hobo Bob who sees everything from a different lens huh. and more so obviously since he's looking through binoculars from a distance outside. But then at the same time, the hermit Bob is also like the harbinger and the narrator at the same time. Like he sees the issues but is also separating himself. Like if you look at this movie at like what it almost feels like what Jim Jarmusch's concept is, is it almost as a, like an allegory for consumerism? Yeah. Well, that's what the zombies is. And he, they made so many references towards George Romero and, and his yeah. zombieism is pretty much consumer, you know, people, people right. who are just brain dead and taking, going back to like George Romero taking place at like at a mall, all you're doing is consuming. Uh, and then if you see all the zombies around, they're pretty much going to what they are most desired. What they're most accustomed yeah. to, yeah. Yeah, so Iggy Pop is grabbing the coffee. You got the kids pretty much getting the candy and the toys. Char are more, Chardonnay. Yeah. <laughs> they, they're going to what they were. And, and that's the thing, too. Like Hobo Bob or Hermit Bob Hermit or whatever, Bob. he's totally different because he's not. He I lives. Him Hobo Bob. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's funny to me. He's living off the land like he doesn't necessarily have any desires. He takes what is necessary, you know, like he he's all about survival. So if what better person to narrate than somebody who is not attached to anything? Absolutely. I know we all love giving our opinions on Easter eggs and neat little things we've found hidden in the movie. Just throw out the obvious one. All right. The obvious one the we Star found Wars. is is on Officer Ronnie's keys when he gives them to Tilda Swinton. There's a Star Destroyer on his on his keys. Tittle Swinton goes, oh, Star Wars. Such a great fiction. <laughs> great work of fiction. Obviously, because she's an alien. Spoiler alerts. <laughs> my my biggest Easter egg that I... was going to say, you had a couple of them you wanted to touch on. Just, just the, the one I'll touch on is the uh, actor Bobby Wiggins, who played like the... Um, the uh, I don't know if it was a convenience shop. Yeah, or gas and stuff. Uh, yeah, he had... He, on his work vest he had a night of the living dead pin on it mm -hmm. well everything is, there's so many throwbacks jim, inside yeah. of his store Absolutely. i mean which jim jarmusch night of the living dead was his biggest inspiration for this zombie film so right. i thought that was kind of a neat little small little not too homage good. or whatever you want to call it to to george romero's uh night of the living dead another big night of the living dead that homage that that bobby is involved in as well when selena gomez and her friends pull up and as they're talking and he walks out and is talking to them about their car, right. the car they're in is a 1968, 1968 Le Mans. The car that uh, Barbara and her brother are driving into the graveyard is a 1967 Le Mans. So, All right. very yeah, cool. that's I, why he says yeah. very, very Romero car. Yeah, it's the, She's like, you really know your stuff? Yeah, it's a 67 Le Mans that they're driving in Night of the Living Dead. And that car is a 68 Lamar's. So oh, yeah. another little 
homage That's to pretty cool. I didn't pick up on that one. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. one thing I will say about this because it's like we said, we all have our own reasons for watching these movies and what we're going to talk about. This is the first Jim Jarmusch movie I've seen. You probably won't like any of the rest of them. No, I'm probably not going to watch many of the other things. But and the thing is, I, I get it. Like, I understand this. Is, he's making something different, and I respect him 100 percent for that. It's just not something I like. And this was and, even different for him. He's never made, even remotely tried to make a, a horror movie. And this for him, like this horror comedy, even comedy is different for him. Like he's made other comedies. But but in doing research on him and listening to interviews with him, which I listen to a lot, and just what other people have said about him, his movies have, they said he's known for these long dialogue movies mm-hmm. and substance I, without substance yeah, and thing, yeah. that's just not for me so will i ever watch another jim jarmusch movie probably not if i don't have to but the thing is i respect jim jarmusch right i think listening to q a's with him and interviews and stuff the guy is actually you know it, it, i don't want to necessarily compare him to quentin tarantino but he kind of is because he has his, his niche. Yeah, he yeah. has his niche, and his his movies are you you know when you're probably watching it like this is a Jim Jar- Jarmusch movie. Absolutely. Um, but like you know, one of the things he said that's kind of like a um a, a cool inspirational type thing is uh, I forget who the uh, the director was that told him this, but when he was before he started making like his own movies and he was just helping out on set, he was said that. The advice he was given was that, and this is kind of something I've said to an extent, but like when he was told, like when you're making a movie, it's it's like making a necklace. Each scene is a bead, and he's like, you need to treat each scene as though it's its own short film, and then you mold that bead how you want to, and you put it off to the side, and then you make all the beads, and then you take these beads and you string them on the timeline to make your necklace in the movie. And I was just like, wow, like that as a director, that really kind of like it's complete. It kind of opened your eyes to things. And I've always said that like each scene I like to treat as a short film. I don't want to treat it as though it's part of this feature length film we're making. And so I think that's kind of cool. That's how how he looks at the scenes is treating each scene. Like it's its own movie to a a point. Another funny story about this. Cause Jarmusch and, Bill Murray, they kind of go way back, and they're good friends oh, and yeah. stuff like right. that. And according to Jarmusch, Bill Murray actually gave him a key to his house. And he's like, anytime you're in town or whatever, he's just like, here's a key to my house. You can come on in and stuff like that. And Jarmusch is like, I don't think he just does that to anybody. So he's like, I feel like we're uh, good friends. But he said that Bill Murray on set, since they're sheriffs and they're, they're in their sheriff uniform, like Driver, Chloe, and Murray, and they actually have a real police car, when they would be between scenes and like be rearranging lights and stuff like that. And the cameras, Bill Murray, Adam driver and Chloe would drive the cop car with the lights on through the towns that were nearby. And he said, they actually, that one of the stories was Bill Murray and them would drive, they drove, drove up to this fruit stand with the lights on and they got out and like the people were just kind of looking at him and he's just like, we're going to need to take your fruit. And so he's just like, he's like, the people are like, okay. And he's just like, we're good for it. We're good for it. And they took all the fruit and left and didn't pay. And he went back and he fed the 
the crew with all the fruits. <laughs> so I just think that it would be kind of fun to work with Bill Murray. Like, you know, I looking at that's the thing too. It's like Bill Murray probably did the best dry humor in this movie out of any of the characters, but just knowing him in past roles, like hearing stories like that, I'm like, okay, Bill Murray may not have been Bill Murray on screen, but he was still being Bill Murray when the cameras weren't rolling. So right. I thought that was kind of a fun little story yeah. to know. Right. I think one of the bigger things that this movie kind of hit on other than like the consumerism type of thing is like when it comes to the actors, I think this movie was kind of created with these actors in mind because they were playing more to the strengths of previous works. Right. Uh, right. Like, so I think you, he did say that in an interview that he did write these specifically for right. certain people. I mean, you obviously got the Star Wars references and stuff like that. Well, well reference with uh, Adam Driver. And then you can see the every time the music comes on. And that's one thing I really liked is <laughs> they, they made a reference of like, you know, the, this the theme song. Another thing I had in my uh, notes as a thing I hated. <laughs> it, but I mean, it was I thought that was clever. It was charmful. It was. Yeah, it, it worked. I thought so anyways. And I laughed out loud in the theater when I was seeing it when they said that. Just my cackle. <laughs> it's better than the stupid because it was in the script. But every time that comes on, everybody makes a reference to the, oh, it's, it's you know, or even if it's brought up like yeah, before Ever, Adam Driver uh, beheads uh, the, the pretty girl. Uh, he I looks at the, that. yeah, he, he stops, stops right where he's CD. doing. He's like, oh, okay, it's good. Yeah. And then he puts it back down and like goes ahead and takes the head off. But every time that song comes on, like I thought it was kind of a, uh, a throw to uh, Groundhog's Day. Because the more Bill Murray's character sees it, he's like getting more or a little bit more frustrated until at the very end he's like, you know, it's him slamming on the alarm clock, taking it out and throwing it out the, the street. It was kind of a, an homage to that. I thought that that was an actual oldie song, but it was actually done specifically yeah. for this movie. Well, so what are I? You know, I'm open to Pandora's box. What are, let's let's hear some of your findings. Um, well, there's a bit. I'll. I'll ease into it so this movie does have a slow start i mean it, it kind of starts off with the uh and a slow middle and, and a, a slow, slow end. end no it kind of picks up towards the end shut the fuck a little up bit. <laughs> yeah there's, for like for the last two minutes there's I, a very I mild only, havoc i only got happens. two more so there's a very mild havoc leave that comes. leave me some time yeah. for my two little ones so you take all the time you need your introduction to steve buscemi <laughs> he's got the uh a, a ripoff of make america uh, great again with keep America white again. That was actually funny. Yeah. And like can't drink this coffee anymore. It's too black. He's he's sitting right next to um Danny Glover. Danny Glover and he's like, it's too black, you know? <laughs> and he looks over it's too Glover. strong. Yeah. Well, you know what I mean. <laughs> but yeah, in the first two kills, I wanted to find something, but it was stretching with Fern and oh, Lily. And some of the shit you were saying on the last one wasn't a stretch. <laughs> no, those were right on point. Oh, okay. This movie was kind of made for no reason. I mean, this but, movie uh, was pretty much straightforward. I, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of like reaching. That's one of the reasons I picked this was I wanted to see how far you reach. This one also kind of, I think, kind of goes along the same lines of rubber, where there is <laughs> deep, like you. Rubber and deep, okay. You like. <laughs> You viewers paid money to watch this. You're kind of consuming, you know, or being a consumer in a zombie or being the zombie in a consumer sense of, you know, just doing this. And it pokes fun of itself the entire time here and there. More obvious in other scenes. But Steve Buscemi pretty much played like more of a Steve Buscemi character, which I really liked. And he was like one of the only people who killed the zombie 
the way it's supposed to be. You know, like he he took the shotgun to the to the zombie's head, and like I was saying earlier, the zombies pretty much are are magnetized to what they were desired in in the living. So you know, toys or whatever, and it was like a black zombie who was pretty much breaking in his place. I Damn don't know trespassers! If, uh, I don't know if that was intentional or. Oh, I'm sure. If I'm just was. calling it out like that. Well, I will say this, but Steve Buscemi's character at the end when he's dying, right? And Tom Waits is like looking through his binoculars or whatever. I did laugh at that part to hear Steve Buscemi muffled in the house, like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, another hidden thing if you will it's not really hidden it was kind of obvious i loved rizza's um rza rizza i loved his little intro and then he had like some deep message and i didn't write that down i totally forgot what it was but he was pretty much the ups driver but it says woo ps as <laughs> to wu tang stupid <clears throat> but if so you put stupid. it all together it says whoops <laughs> <laughs> And I found I thought that was a little bit more since UPS is one of my competitors in non BPT world BPT reviews. It's all BPT world. There was still hasn't touched on my two things. I, I thought say he's stretching, bro. I I'm only on the first this rubber side band, here. This, I got this two rubber bands. Go ahead, so go tight. ahead. Throw something out. I got I got a couple. Stella, Olive, Olivia, and uh, Geronimo, the three kids in the the Centerville detention center when they're watching the news talking about the earth being off its axis polar fracking polar fracking due to the polar fracking they're the only ones talking about the implications of the earth being off its axis and what it's going to do to nature Mm -hmm. and all that i find that quite ironic that they are the only ones that and on the back of their uniforms they all have the cdc right so I just found that quite ironic that yeah. the CDC are the only people who care about what's affecting the earth. And that and Hermit Bob are the only ones, but they're the ones who are using the more scientific type of yeah. thing. Everybody gets their news through the TV or the radio, and if you notice that the radio was 9-11, and if you probably noticed that the time was 11-11, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you love that. Yep, I pointed that out when I was watching it. No, uh, the, uh, another I, thing about those three kids. They serve no fucking purpose in that movie. Yeah, they movie. do. Yeah, no, they, they do. don't. Yeah, they, yeah do. they do. It's just you didn't really understand it. Everybody kind of serves their purpose. This is also kind of going on to the consumer things. The people in the correctional facility, they didn't have access to consuming things. They were trying to implement or, or, or trying to change things, change your ways in a sense. And they were getting their corrections, I guess. Yeah. So they had a place to hide, you know, uh, like a like a mask. <laughs> Plus, they, they did nothing yeah. in the movie. They didn't. Plus, if they if, were the survivors, they're the ones who they followed just the, they just go off and that's that. It's like thinking they're going to do something at the end. It's like, nope. So those are just waste of time characters. They survive. Plus, if they didn't want the, it to be the CDC joke, they're obviously juveniles, so it would have been this the CJDC because they're juveniles, so it would have been the Centerville Junior. What the fuck? Did detention center. Detention center. Yeah. Going back to the you proved your point, but okay. <laughs> eleven eleven. That was one of the first things that was shown, like within the first twenty minutes. Uh, eleven eleven, according to the Bible, this is my only biblical fact here. Uh, eleven eleven is considered to be a symbol of a wake up call and a spiritual waking. It's necessary to find your spiritual path and to follow it. And they were missing their their stuff. They were so since, that's that's why I see it every day. I need to get on find that your spirit. spiritual path, man. But yeah, no, they. <laughs> Uh, something I did find kind of funny is Mindy and 
Ronnie, or at least Ronnie, seemed to have a little bit of a crush on his coworker Mindy. And at the very end, he was so quick to cut off her head. <laughs> he's just like, <laughs> and, and Cliff, uh, Bill Murray, he's like looking at him like, what are you, what? what? You know, he's like, oh, <laughs> like he had no remorse or anything. He was, yeah. So my favorite character, you probably already know who my favorite character is. Miss Catherine Matilda Swinton was my, Miss Tilda Swinton's character. What was her name? It was like almost her real name, just like oh, yeah, switched yeah. around. Hers and, and Rosa Perez names were just basically mixed. Yeah. Hers yeah, is yeah. Zelda something. Zelda, yeah. Zelda Winston. Let, let me touch on Selena Gomez. So Selena. You're sick. <laughs> thank you. Thank yeah. you for letting me touch on Selena Gomez. Did you notice that she was the only person who had some different sort of introduction when she said her name? There was little sparkles around her. That was yeah. stupid. That was the only time that that ever happened. And what I kind of stupid. <laughs> Jeez, this guy. When I kind of what I kind of gleaned from that. So her name is Zoe. Selena Gomez's name is Zoe, which seemed to be a throwaway character. I think from on the outside, but Zoe means the light or star or life. You know, upon her introduction, you got that little star play, and she also stayed in the moonlit hotel and. Once she was found and decapitated, it was pretty much permanently, well, I don't want to say permanently, but it was dark out. It was dark as her, as she was dying. So, yeah, because it, it stayed light the entire time while it was off its, like, axis or something like that. So her death pretty much turned out the lights, and it was supposed to be known, I think, around, like, the pre-production of this, that they were supposed to be, like, haunted hotel kids they're pretty much traveling to to stay at these haunted hotels. Yeah, that was impressed in the movie. One other part that was kind of funny, but I'm sure nobody else found it funny because I find weird things funny. The guy that was like the hotel manager. Right, right. When he's yes. standing outside and the zombies are coming up behind him and the one zombie's like, free HBO or whatever. Yeah. And as he's turning around, he's like, yeah, we got free HBO. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I did laugh at that. Hell yeah, we got free cable. <laughs> So well, there's something that I want to touch on here. This did. did you do anything about the meaning of the population 738? I did not. What the fuck? Jeez, I, I miss all the easy ones. So let, let me. Let I me, think that around that time, I trying to watch this. Around that time. Around the opening. It was like the first like 10 dude, minutes of the movie. It took me 45 minutes to watch the first five minutes because it was so much lag. And then I think I probably scrubbed or skipped through something when I oh tried to God. touch it again. Jeremy, school this but, bitch. So this is, I'm just going to read the simplistic of what the meaning of 738 is. And I want you to kind of tell me what you think that has to do with the movie. So uh, 738 is, means the greatest accomplishment you can ever achieve and own that no one can never take from you is peace of mind. What does that have to do with the movie? Or is it just they just picked 738 for the population? It's missing one. It's supposed to be 739 because they're not counting the person who does have that peace of mind. And, well, I guess the two people because one of them is a visitor and the other one's a hobo. Yeah. Okay. So the other one. So it's a whole number. The other one was uh, the address, nine nine three Main Street. Did you do anything with that? That's the room that the Pixar movies was. <laughs> so nine nine three means a gentle push from your guardian angels to leave behind things that you are holding back, whether a certain situation or person. That could be anything. It doesn't mean. Why are you like? Okay. <clears throat> You're, you're throwing these off like just because you didn't freaking see it and like no that's not it 
I I saw those two, and I was the first time I watched what? it. I was watching with Michael, and I pause it, and I'm just like, because it was like population seven thirty eight. They drive by the sign, and then the next cut is them driving in front of, uh, I forget what house it is, but it, it says nine nine three Main Street. And I pause it. I look at Michael. I'm like, Justin's gonna have something to say about those numbers. I didn't have anything to say about that. What wow. fortune cookie did you get that? On? <laughs> <laughs> wow, I'm I'm disappointed. <clears throat> Jeez. Did you notice that? One of the testicles, the I want to say was the one he hit with the baseball bat from the car, uh, Adam Driver's character that was dressed up exactly like Bill Murray's character in Zombieland. Mm-mm, I don't know, so I didn't catch that. Okay, I'll, I'll repeat it. That <laughs> one was <clears throat> no. this fucking guy. Yeah, anyway, so let me let me move to Zelda's character. Zelda was probably my favorite character for obvious reasons. So she was kind of the character who exempt. Lified. I don't know if that's the right word, who pretty much was the persona of like wisdom. And so looking back at it afterwards, it's obvious that she was kind of an alien. She took the, <laughs> obviously she was yeah. an alien. I, I don't like him. She, oh, she's a foreign alien in some way or form, shape or form. And I think that was saying that they, they play to the character's strength or actor's kind of strengths, because I think, that's one thing a lot of people look at her. It's like, oh, she's just a very interesting person. Her presence, her her structure. She has very highlighted, you know, cheekbones, a, a pointy nose type of thing. Like her eyes, her, her eye shape, etc. It was a very obvious to put her as like an alien throughout the movie. She was the undertaker. So she used that position to pretty much try to understand the humans so she can pretty much get into their heads from the well safer it was her sense of probing if you will as an alien she exemplified like the concept of discipline wisdom as seen through her martial play her her tai chi yang style samurai katas and she was very proficient with it i did find that when she was trying to paint the faces did you know that like the colors of the face paint and stuff like that. Like it, it seems like she was trying to be a person uh, or, or try to fit in, trying to express herself but failing miser- miserably. So she can be herself easily, but when she tries to be creative, the face paint was pretty much a very David Bowie color and David Bowie being the star man, the, the alien from outer space type of thing. Nope, didn't notice the color, guys. I mean... To be honest with you, when she was doing the makeup on those people, uh, the first thing I thought of was David Bowie, but I didn't make that connection. That's that's probably accurate, so we'll go with that. <laughs> um, but 993 Main Street wasn't. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah, no, when she went to the, well, when she walks around and stuff like that, she's very precise. Like, I don't know, at first it looks like she's just trying to avoid a sniper. You know how you walk in zigzags and stuff like that? Yeah, I thought she was... Being a target, Get really excited. <laughs> what the fuck? So she knows how to operate radios and all this. And I thought that her going to the police station to, and they're like, "Do you know how to operate the the computer system, the radios and stuff like that?" She took one look at it and was like, "Yeah, I, you know, I, I've got this." So she has an idea or concept of technology, and the technology that she uses is probably a little bit more advanced. Something like this is very simplified, and she probably used the radios to call for her backup that was her getting the fuck out of there because she was figuring out like you know these humans are stupid and they are going to end up killing themselves and that is what's going on and 
she was pretty much safe. When she used Adam Driver's Fuck out of Dodge. When she used Adam Driver's um uh, smart car. Smart car and how she was commenting on like, oh it's so smooth. Like she I guess rep- recommended using his vehicle because it was like the most high tech type of thing, something that she's probably more familiar with. Yeah, and she was like, Oh, so yeah. <laughs> there was like a awkward pause there. That was probably one of my favorite kills is like when she goes to the um the Vogue zombie, the the Bane one, just like kind of posing or whatever. She just like slowly drives up to her and she like strikes a pose and when she looks down she just chops off her head like very <laughs> Ever so gently. <laughs> I thought that, that that zombie that you just talked about there, I thought it kind of looked like our friend Megan. <laughs> didn't, didn't you think yeah. so? Yeah. I can see that. So while you're looking at that, I'm going to tell another uh, Jim Jarmusch little, uh, little factoid. factoid. He does not watch his films, but once. I don't listen to our podcast. He, I don't listen. He, he, will, he will only watch his movie once. In front of a paying audience, like yeah, he does like the premieres and stuff like that. But he says that he doesn't watch them because a he he, he is in the the editing room and seeing it a billion times, which I I understand that. Uh, and then when you you do like your your premiere with the cast and crew, obviously you're getting a different you're going to get a positive response because everybody was a part of it. But he only watches it once with a paying audience and he disguises himself, he'll wear a hoodie or something like that and sit in the back uh, because then he's going to get an honest reaction. Beyond that, he doesn't watch his movies because he says that you're always wanting to change it. And he's like, you've made the movie. The movie is what it is. When you watch it, you're always like in the mindset, like, I should have held on to that scene a little bit longer. So it's like another thing of respect. I I, I get that. And that makes complete sense. I think most artists are, a perfectionist at one, well, most. Yeah. Not all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> most. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I, I, I think that's, that's pretty much sums up my, my take on that. I mean, uh, as far as like the Tilda Swinton, Swinton like character, I felt like the obviousness of her being an alien was shown a little earlier in the movie, how she refers to everybody by their first and last name. And when she came to go pick up or she came to the police station, it was just Mindy there. And she's supposed to take the, the, the body, the stiff, if you will, the one that was talking about Chardonnay, which was the, (laughs) one of the other ground or not. Yeah. Groundhog. Scrooge. Scrooge. Sorry. Thank you. One of the other Scrooge. Oh yeah. She wasn't Scrooge. She She was the annoying. Yeah. I thought of, I only think of her in taxi. That too. Saturday Night Live as well, wasn't she? Yeah, I think so. Probably the very first. I think she was in the cast with Bill Murray on Saturday Night yeah. Live. Yeah, overall, I thought it was a, a pretty... I got I got one more, and I'm sad both of you guys missed it. What well, is I, it? I have another thing, but I guarantee you it's not what you're going to say. Uh, the one I had was uh, when when uh, the guy from Wu-Tang Clan comes in and brings Bobby the copy of Creepy 61 that he's so excited about. There's two problems with that one. He's he's excited. He goes, Creepy 61 from 1961. It's actually from 1974 when it was released. But what's significant about that one... That was its release, not when it was made. There was an EP. It was a shut up. Easy. Yeah. Um, what was significant about Creepy number 61, it was the first... It had a story in it that was called The Ghouls, 
which it was the first actual pure zombie story that Creepy ever released. If you don't know what Creepy is, it was like a Tales from like the Crypt. Like a Fangoria type of... No, it was just like actually just short stories, short horror stories. And there was stories like Zombie Vampire and stories that said zombie in them. But the ghoul was the first like actual zombie story. It was about grave robbers who the ghouls would come out of the grave and eat them. So technically, that was Creepy's first, Creepy 61 was the first zombie story that they released was in Creepy 61. Interesting. Oh, I, the the kid who, the convenience store kid, the gas station convenience store dude, like he had a, a encyclopedia of what zombies were, like his whole getup or, or setup at the convenience store had just like zombie memorabilia like everywhere. The exchange with Selena Gomez's character showed his intelligence with it. But I thought it was very interesting <laughs> where they're boarding up him and Danny Glover. Danny Glover. What's his name? Fra- not Frank. Hank. Hank. Yeah. Hank the it, hardware guy. Hardware guy. I didn't even bother to learn their <laughs> character names. <laughs> they're boarding up the front door, but like being a zombie enthusiast, you would think to watch all in the he knows how to use the tools and stuff like that like he's checking the sharpness of the axe and stuff you have tools everywhere but you just give up and that's kind of going back to the reflection of how people are when they're in tight situations they just meh it's like you you worked so hard for all this and then once one little one little hiccup zombies fled the back door and you're done you didn't even try to fight your way out you didn't try to work for anything you said your favorite part about the movie was the was it the dead body or, or the animal one? The yeah, when they were saying the line like, "Jesus, was it a wild animal yeah. or two? My favorite line is, "Fuck Farmer Miller." <laughs> my, my favorite line was uh, from Farmer Miller where he walks out of his house and who stole all my fucking cows? Yeah. <laughs> my uh, chickens. so uh something else this is more of like from the filmmaking aspect of the movie so adam driver this was this movie was a seven week uh film schedule seven week shoot which is not really a long time when you come when it comes down to it but um they only had adam driver for the first three weeks and then after that he was on set for Star Wars. He was Disney's. And he, they tried to work with them to like get him for at least like another week. And there's like, no, we need him. So they for had, what? And I mean, and what percentage of the film would you say that Adam Driver's in? 80%. Yeah. That's yeah. what I'm about. So 80, 85%. So they had to film 80, 85% of this in three, in three weeks. They had four weeks to film the other. 20% of it? What percent of Star Wars was he wow. in? Wow. Uh, quite a bit, I think. I'm not a Star Wars fan. I had percent but all the good I parts. mean, if you if from a director's standpoint, that puts some pressure on you if one of your main characters is it's unavailable or unavailable. And the thing is is like you have to get all of their shit perfected right. because it's costing the studio buku bucks to get him to come back when it is whenever it is that he's free from star wars so i mean that's another thing where i will give jarmush some credit because i mean he apparently got all of his stuff with adam driver but it's like that leaves a question to me like so the other four weeks that they had 
what the fuck were they filming and what were they right. doing? He made a uh, note of it, the Sturgill Stent Simpson. He was the zombie who was dragging the guitar. So I, I don't know. Yeah, if yeah, I saw, okay. I saw that. Right. Yeah, the guy that did the song. Yeah, and something I found out too is that this, this is kind of not really. It's pretty rare for a director to have this in his contracts, but Jim Jarmusch has it in all of his contracts for the movies that he gets final say in everything, even over the studio. So, like, he gets final say in music, uh, how a scene is cut together, and if, like, he gives it to the whoever, the studio, and there's, like, I don't like the scene, cut it, he can say, like, no, we're not, and they don't. So it's like, I, I want to know how he's gotten that credibility to where he can work that in his contract because i mean there's there's some big name ones out there that they still have to answer to the studio yeah well the big name ones are more heavily gravitated towards people look at him and they're like nobody's gonna watch it fine whatever (laughs) all right boys well it's getting that time of the night where we have to decide what we would change in this movie man we should have gave me more time (laughs) (laughs) nope well as i said earlier you got a minute i'm thinking that most every single scene like it expired its its scene. It had its little deadpan type of reaction, and then it just trailed off. They could have snipped it just a little bit more, just shorten it up a bit. For me, things I would have changed, I thought, I'm not a fan of CGI. You guys know that about me. I hate CGI in horror. Right. But I think this is probably, and this this should say something about the film, I think this is the the best CGI in a horror-esque type movie that I've seen. Uh, it seemed more realistic with the heads getting cut off and like even the powdery blood. I think that's probably what saved it because if it was like blood, blood coming out of these zombies, it would have probably looked hokey, but that powder looked real. Right. And even the practical effects that they did, which because they mixed some of those in there too, thought were done perfectly. And like I said, the setting, everything like that, the vibe that it was giving was great. I would say, like, with what you were saying, I would cut down a lot of the scenes a little bit shorter. I would have gotten rid of some of the fourth wall stuff. I would have got rid of that completely because I don't think it was it was timed well at all. Um, I would have kept some of the dry humor in there, but I would have tried to make it a little bit more, again, a timing thing that didn't seem just like bad acting or lazy writing. And I would have probably mixed in a little bit more action and fast pace with it just to give it, to give the viewers something to excite them. That's what, that's what a Instead Zelda's of, character was for. Uh, really? Oh, one thing I did want to, one of my favorite parts that wasn't, that was just more um, gestural, I guess, is when Mindy gets out of the car to see her dead zombie grandma mm-hmm. and gets like, consumed you can see ronnie's character like once the door shuts ronnie's like locks the door (laughs) (laughs) see that's good timing stuff there but i'm assuming monty you wouldn't change anything since you gave it a 10 you know if i had to change something i think i would have cut out i think i would have made zelda more of a like a bit part character i think we focused a little too much on her um i think she was put in simply for that comedic relief like as a whoa okay that was unexpected like with her being an alien and all, um, I think less is more on her, her part. But yeah, other than that, I wouldn't have changed anything at all. I think when a lot of people look at this and they see Zelda is like when the spaceship comes at the very end, they're like, "That's not in the script, right?" You know, and 
Bill Murray is like, well, I only got the scenes or, or I only got our scenes and stuff like that. Right. Like I said, I did like the fourth wall breaking. Yeah. And people would look at that and be like, what the fuck is this? It's like, you're, you're not going to believe that, but you are going to believe the zombie part. Like anything can happen at this point. And that's the, I thought it was, it. it was funny talking about the spaceship thing. In one of the interviews with Jarmusch, he was talking about like, you know, he, he hates when people give spoilers and stuff like that. And that's why he tries not to do a lot of stuff on social media because it gets out there quicker and whatnot. And then the next question, the person asked him and he's talking and he's telling him about, he's like at the end with the spaceship and keep in mind, this was before the movie was released. So basically what he had just said about how he hates when people give spoilers. Then in his next answer, he spoiled the whole spaceship thing. At the end. <laughs> and everybody in the, the, the panel is just like laughing. And there's like, well, I guess we know that there's going to be a spaceship in this thing. But it's so unorthodox, like a random spaceship in a zombie movie. They're like, this dude's fucking with us. Like he has to be. Uh, but I, then again, who knows? Well, boys, that wraps up. The dead don't die. But uh, Justin, you have the next pick. Yeah. What movie are we watching? I'm thinking of going back to Ashley Judd and Brennan Fraser, The Passion of Darkly Noon. How did I know? Uh, <laughs> was something I I think I'm about due to watch that again. It's a uh, it's a little bit different seeing Brennan Fraser do a I guess take on like a role like this. Um, I don't know. It's it's probably my very well my favorite B-rated movie. I've probably said that twice, maybe three so times. So we can expect the... you're going to give it a ten out of ten. <laughs> uh, yeah, here and there. What's his name? Aragon from Lord of the Rings is in it. You, like, you guys are handing out tens like too easily. We're two shows in and we've gotten two tens. I'm going to do eleven, maybe. We'll 11 see what happens. Get out of here. Uh-uh. All right, boys. Boys and girls, that was the BBT Movie Podcast. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. <laughs> yeah, bye. Oh, and in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. This concludes our broadcast day. Click. <laughs>